chapter 1. It is on page 728 in the Bible in the back of the pew in front of you. If you do not have a Bible, please feel free to take one with you. That is our gift to you. So again, Micah chapter 1. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Morasheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Hear, you peoples, all of you. Pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it, and let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth, and the mountains will melt under him. And the valleys will split open, like wax before the fire, like waters poured down a steep place. All this is for the transgression of Jacob, and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap in the open country, a place for planting vineyards. And I will pour down her stones into the valley and uncover her foundations. All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces. All her wages shall be burned with fire. And all her idols I will lay waste. For from the fee of a prostitute she gathered them, and to the fee of a prostitute they shall return. For this I will lament and wail. I will go stripped and naked. I will make lamentation like the jackals and mourning like the ostriches. For her wound is incurable, and it has come to Judah. It has reached to the gate of my people, to Jerusalem. Tell it not in Gath, weep not at all. In Bethlehem, roll yourselves in the dust. Pass on your way, inhabitants of Shaphir, in nakedness and shame. The inhabitants of Zanon do not come out. The lamentation of Bethlehem shall take away from you its standing place. For the inhabitants of Merath wait anxiously for good, because disaster has come down from the Lord to the gate of Jerusalem. Harness the steeds to the chariots, inhabitants of Lachish. It was the beginning of sin to the daughter of Zion, for in you were found the transgressions of Israel. Therefore you shall give parting gifts to Marashem Gath. The houses of Asim shall be a deceitful thing to the kings of Israel. I will again bring a conqueror to you, inhabitants of Merashah. The glory of Israel shall come to Adullam. Make yourselves bald and cut off your hair for the children of your delight. Make yourselves as bald as the eagle, for they shall go from you into exile. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Susie. Good morning, church. Can you guys hear me okay? Whew, what a passage, right? It's heavy. Uh, This morning, we get to dive into the book of Micah together. And as you know, we have been going through the Minor Prophets. He's one of the 12. Before we actually do this, I want to invite you to come with me to the book of Exodus. You may be wondering, why Exodus? We need to get the right context of why God is bringing judgment upon his people. And so I want to invite you to, if you have your Bible, I want you to open it and go to Exodus chapter 19. I want you to keep something in mind. At this point in the story in Exodus, God had already delivered, already rescued the people from the hand of Egypt. 
They're no longer slaves. Now they're God's people. And we need to keep in mind this. <clears throat> At that point, the people of Israel knew nothing but slavery. Keep in mind, they were slaves for hundreds of years. Now something new is happening. They are God's people. And we're going to get to see how God established that relationship between himself and his people. I want us to go to chapter 19. We're going to start in verse 4. It says this. This is God speaking to Moses. He wants Moses to go and speak to his people. And he says this. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. How I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasure possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Now, if we go to verse 8, at this point, uh, Moses already went to the people and told them these things, and this is what the, uh, Moses is telling the Lord. He says, All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Now, if we follow, we continue to read. I'm not going to ask you to read it, but you can go to chapter 20 because this is where we finally get to see uh, how God gives his people his plan for flourishing, his model for thriving, for right living, for, for beauty, for goodness. And this is what we know as God's law, the terms of the covenant. Keep in mind, and and I I tend to get this confused. God never gave this instructions, this law to the people of Israel in order for them to become his people. He gave them these things because they were already his people. And this distinction matters. So, We're going to get to dive into the book of Micah. We're going to get to see what God is doing and why he's casting judgment. If you have been able to trace the minor prophets so far, um, you see kind of like the same pattern over and over. There is judgment. There is this sense of promise. God remains the same. And then there is a sense of hope because there's this promise and he's faithful. So before we do the work of diving into the context of Micah, I just want you to pray with me um, as we start. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning with humble hearts, asking that you would be the one who would reveal yourself to us through your word this morning. I pray that you would take me out of this equation and that your word would speak to the hearts of your people and to my heart, that we would be able to see you and rejoice in your faithfulness this morning. Pray that your spirit would convict us of the things that you are calling us to do and that your spirit would open up our hearts and our minds to receive what you have for us this morning. We pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So we're going into Micah. Let's talk a little bit about the context because we all know that context matters. So It is believed that the book of Micah dates back to the middle of the 8th century. In chapter 1, we get to see how it says that Micah was in the days of Jotham and Ahaz and Hezekiah. 
This is the, 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 around the date, uh, the middle of the 8th century. But also in chapter 1, verse 1 of Micah, we uh, see uh, that the word of the Lord came to Micah, meaning this proves that Micah is indeed the author of this book. This is what he's, the Lord has revealed to him, and this is what Micah is saying. At this time in history, Micah had already experienced the defeat of the northern kingdom. Now, if you remember, the kingdom now has been divided into two sections. There's the northern kingdom, and there is the southern kingdom. And I like this picture from the Bible Project, because it helps me visualize what is happening. And so, the northern kingdom is known as um, Israel. And Micah has already seen how God has judged them. Now, this time, Micah is also speaking to the people of Judah, who are the people from the southern uh, kingdom. And it is believed that Micah lived approximately 25 to 30 miles away from the border of the northern and southern kingdom. He was located in the southern kingdom. The whole book of Micah highlights this, this reality here. Micah is highlighting the injustice and the violence in Israel and Judah. And Micah announces imminent destruction and judgment to the covenant breakers, the evil doers. But he remains, or God, through Micah, remains faithful to his character because Micah also proclaims that there will be salvation. There is a promise and there is hope. The Lord is not going to forget them. Now, there is a thing that I, I want us to trace this because I think this is really important and I love how God did this. Because when we consider the name of the prophet Micah, and we actually break down the name, Micah means who is like Yahweh. The Lord is asking a question. And as we dive into Micah, we're going to get to see how he plans to answer that question for us. So far in our series, we have seen how Jonah delights or highlights in God's mercy. Amos addresses God's justice. Hosea focuses on God's covenantal love for his people. And for today, I believe that Micah will emphasize God's distinctions, distinction from all the other little g gods. And we're going to get to see the big idea of Micah. I think that this is what Micah wants us to see. That God shows his people that there is no one like him. And though his people transgress against him, he is committed to rescuing them. As we get to see this, this main point, this big idea, I just my hope is that we would behold the greatness of our God and his commitment to keeping his promises. We're going to get to talk about these three things, and we talked about them last week as well. All the minor prophets are going to be talking about sort of the same thing from now on, and this is God's judgment, God's promise, and hope in the Lord. Now, let's begin with God's judgment, because as we saw when we read the passage, it is very clear that God is very direct. For the very, from the very beginning, uh, we are told that the word of the Lord has come to Micah, and there is a reason why. And this is because if you read verses 2 and 5, you'll get to see that there is judgment that is coming to the people of Judah. If we recall the Ten Commandments, God makes it clear for his people. He says this, I am Yahweh, your God. You shall not have any other gods before me. 
God declares that he is a holy and righteous and just God. He's the absolute being. And he cannot and will not be compared with any other gods. And this is why the first thing that God deals with is precisely the destruction of other gods and their idols. This is what chapter 1 verse 7 says. All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces, and all her wages shall be burned with fire, and all her idols I will lay waste. From, for from the fee of a prostitute she gather them, and to the fee of a prostitute they shall return. I want you to keep this question in mind. Who is like Yahweh? He's answering that for us. He's making himself distinct from all the other gods, little g-gods, and idols. He's saying there's no one like me. So let's keep going. Micah also gives us the details as to why the judgment is coming to them. If we read, we go now to the second chapter, the first verse. It says this, Woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it, because it's in the power of their hand. Now, when I read this the first time, it was interesting because I, I didn't know what the text was really getting at. I'm like, maybe it's highlighting how bad, you know, premeditated sin or transgression is, because it is. But once you dive into the right context and the commentaries, you understand that there's more happening here that has social implications. Because this passage is highlighting the oppression of people. That there is a group of people who are supposed to know what is right, are supposed to do what is just, and they don't do that. They do evil. They plan it, and they execute it. David uh, Becker says this in his, um, in his commentary. He says, At morning's light is ironic. Thieves usually cover their black deeds with darkness of night. Court was held in ancient Near East when the sun rose because it symbolized the dispelling of the darkness that covered the crime. You see, Micah saw the corruption of Israel's law courts, and he explained that they practiced their theft and evil at morning light when the court was open. So for them, instead of focusing on cultivating and laboring for what is good, they oppressed people and took away their fields and their houses. Instead of keeping God's covenant, they decided to make a covenant with themselves. So no longer do they have allegiance to God. They have now decided they want allegiance to themselves. Micah says this about that. Because of this, this is what they're doing. He says, lately, my people have risen up as enemies. This is chapter 2, verse 8. You can read it there. And not only the, leader, the people of Israel are guilty, the leaders of Israel are guilty, but now we get to see that even the religious leaders are found guilty. If we go to chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, we get to see that they are supposed to know and to do justice and to do what is right. And this is what Micah says. And I said, Here, you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, is it now for you to know justice? You who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin from of my people and their flesh from of their bones. 
we go into verse 9 and 12, and we also see how he unpacks this even more. Because he highlights that the rulers of Israel are making crooked all that is straight. He says, hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel who detest justice. And not only are they not doing justice, but they detest it and make crooked all that is straight. I want to point something out to you that I thought it was, it was helpful for me as I was preparing for this. Do you guys remember what the third commandment is? Yes? No? Maybe? Let me remind you what it is. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And this is what, where we see God's character come into play because now he's dealing with these people for this reason. I want to invite you to go to chapter 3, verse 11, because it says this. Its heads give judgment for a bride. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet, they lean on the Lord and say, It's not the Lord in the midst of us. No disaster shall come upon us. See, they're doing evil and they're taking bribes and giving unfair judgment and receiving dishonest money. And they justify themselves by saying, well, the Lord is with us. Nothing can happen to us. There is clear judgment being cast down from Yahweh to the people because they have broken God's model for flourishing and for thriving and for right living. They have broken God's law. And they're supposed to know and do justice. Because, get this, justice is the framework for flourishing. There is no flourishing without justice. And God gives us His his model for flourishing and His law so that we can live conforming to His character. At the end of the day, this is what it means to be God's people. But God sent Micah as his prosecutor against them because, as he say, or said, they hate good and they love evil. So we see how then God, uh, God's judgment is coming to them and to the land. And this is why there will be an exile as we read towards the end of the first chapter. There's going to be this exile that is going to happen. But as we've seen in, uh, in the other uh, minor prophets, God is consistent with his ways. There's going to be a judgment, but there's also the promise. The first time that we get a hint of the promise in the book of Micah is back in chapter 2. I want to invite you to go there. Chapter 2, verse 12, because it says this. I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel I will set them together like sheep in a fold, like a flock in his pasture, a noisy multitude of men. God promises to assemble his remnant. And this is a very important theme that we can find throughout Scripture. Scholar Richard Patterson says this. He says, God's promise to preserve a segment of his people through the punishment of his divine judgment for covenant trespasses, introduces the remnant theme. 
And Micah helps us to understand the relationship between God and the remnant. Who are the remnant? The, the remnant is uh, the group of people who are chosen by God to accomplish his sovereign purposes. And in fact, in chapter 4 of Micah, we get to see uh, that Micah highlights that the whole point, uh, the, the purpose behind their exile is to highlight God's redemptive work. He's going to rescue and redeem the remnant. It shows that only God has the power and ability to make promises and actually fulfill them. Consider the question again, who is like Yahweh? Who is like Yahweh? Who else is able to make promises and actually deliver? Think about this. Can idols do that for you? Can little G gods do that for you? Can you do that for yourself? Who else but Yahweh? Now, for the very first time, God makes an incredible promise that goes together with the remnant. Now, in the previous uh, old, or the minor prophets, we've seen that God has made promises, but this time he makes a very uh, specific point about this promise. And it says this, that he uh, promised that there's going to be one ruler who will reign over the remnant, and this ruler is coming from Bethlehem. This is the very first time that we get to see this, that the ruler is coming from Bethlehem. It says this, if we go to chapter 5, verse 2, it says this, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. And then we go into verse 4, chapter 5, verse 4, it says this, He shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. Now, did you notice the consistent pattern, the language that is being used for the remnant? The language of sheep and flock and the ruler being a shepherd. I want to draw your attention, which you're probably already looking at it. Psalm 23 and the words of David. Because he says this, and I love this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul and he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. This is just one of the many illustrations in the Hebrew scriptures that Micah is working with when he's uh, doing this prophecy, when he's telling this prophecy. Now, follow me to Exodus 3. Think about this. This is where, for the first time, uh, God is interacting with Moses, and Moses asks a question to God and says, when the people ask me about you, who do I tell them that you are? And he says, I am who I am. I am Yahweh. Hear this words. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. 
just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Let's do a little bit of digging there. Let's make the connection that is happening here. Because Micah tells us of a ruler that will come out from Bethlehem. And he will shepherd the remnant. And David clarifies that the Lord is my shepherd. Keep in mind, when you read the original Hebrew, David is saying, Yahweh is my shepherd. And now into the picture, Jesus. He's born in Bethlehem and makes this shocking statement. I am the good shepherd. Micah prophesied the good news of the Messianic king. The one who fulfilled the promise that God made to Abraham. He is the one who brings the blessings of God to the whole world, all the nations. Unlike the covenant breakers, he is the true and the faithful one, the Israelite, who truly was able to obey God's perfect law perfectly. And he is the one from the line of David that God promised to David. If you remember, God made a promise to David to say, you're not going to be the king, but out of your line will come a king that will rule. He's going to be the king forever. He's going to sit on the throne forever. And we see Jesus fulfills all those promises. Now, we, we've seen how God declared judgment against Israel and against Judah. And Micah showed us that God's promises are reliable, again, because his promises depend on him and not on us. Who is like Yahweh? that can keep up his word, that can deliver. Now, we're going to get to see how then this promise fills Micah with hope. Because I, I love how Micah is so certain about where his hope comes from. We're going to go all the way now to chapter 7. And I know I'm taking you back and forth, but this is how Micah is working. Uh, he's, he's going around to communicate the same uh, things. But... In chapter 7, we get to see this. Micah starts with uh, practicing confession. He says, woe is me. He recognizes that although he is the prophet of the Lord, he has sinned against God. This is what he says in verse 9. He says, I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him. And I love that he shows us the importance of confession. This is the thing that here at Redemption City, we practice this every Sunday. We are intentional about this. Because he shows us that confession is the model for how we experience the faithfulness of God. This is where we get to know what God is like and who he is. Now, Micah does something interesting here. Because he knows that Yahweh is faithful. He knows who Yahweh is. And he says that the Lord pleads my, case, my cause and executes judgment for me. This is in chapter 7. He will bring me out to the light and I shall look upon his vindication. I think that this is something really interesting because Micah looked forward to the time where God will do this for him. He's looking forward. And he says, 
This is chapter 7, verse 7. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Now, for us, we don't necessarily get to look forward for the promises to be fulfilled in Jesus because we already have Jesus. So now we get to look backwards to Jesus and what he did, what he accomplished for us. So let me ask you this question. I want to engage our brains a little bit, and and I want you to uh, reflect on this. Can you relate to Micah? When you face difficult moments, do you look to the Lord? Do you wait on the Lord? Or do you try to take matters into your own hands? Do you try to fix it yourself? Do you spend your time and energy planning how to get through the situation? Or do you spend it by praying to God for him to be your rescuer, the one that comes to help you? Do you wait on the Lord? Or do you wait on yourself and your own self-sufficiency to fix your situation? Ultimately, I guess the question is this. Where is your hope place? Is it in yourself? Is it in a little G God? Is it in an idol? Or is it in the God who took on fullness of humanity, who came to earth and walked among us, and he obeyed the perfect law perfectly, took upon himself our sins, and went to the cross and paid the price for our iniquities? Is that where your hope is, or is it in yourself? This hope, I I hope that you can see this, how this can bring comfort. And you can step into the reality that you can trust the God who fulfills his promises, the one who delivers and comes through. I love what Micah says in verse 18 of chapter 7. He says, again, think, think of the question, right? Who is like Yahweh? Verse 18, who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquities and passing over transgression from the re- for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in the steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Take comfort in that. That's a reality for us. But I think that Micah doesn't stop with, here's hope, here's the promise, here's comfort. I think there's a challenge for us. And before you say, Sebastian, you skip probably the most well-known verse in the book of Micah, of Micah 6, 8. It says this, He has told you, O men, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? I want to share a quick story with you to step into this challenge for us. Um, How many of you, probably all of you, have social media, watch YouTube videos, maybe Facebook reels, 
you call it. I don't know if you've come across these videos where a lot of the people do social experiments where they dress as homeless people and they record uh, interactions uh, between people. And a lot of the times they beg for food or they beg for money and people walk past them, ignore, ignores them. I don't know if you've seen those videos. And a lot of the times when I come across those videos, I say, like, how dare they do that? Like, if, if that was me, I would be the first one to stop and say, hey, how can I pray for you? Or, hey, how can I help you? Can I buy you a meal? Can I just sit with you and do these things uh, for you, with you? Right? I, I don't know if you felt that before. Well, let me tell you what happened to me. Um, this past week, we were at a conference, the Gospel Coalition Conference. And uh, just imagine we are in Indianapolis and... Um, the convention center, and there are hundreds, if not thousands of people coming out from the convention because we're taking a lunch break. So as we walk out, we cross the street, and right in front of us, there are people sitting on the street that were homeless asking for help. And, and I'm just speaking from my personal experience. So I remember this is how it happened. I pass. I walked by this gentleman who was sitting down, and I clearly heard him ask for help. He said, can you help a vet today? I need help. I'm a U.S. vet. Can you help me? I'm not going to tell you the story where I look like a good Christian because that was not it. I willfully chose to walk past this individual who asked for help. I chose not to engage because I didn't want the inconvenience of getting on the way of people. I chose not to engage because I didn't want other people to see me as, oh, well, maybe he's only doing it because we're all here and like, he wants to look good. Even those thoughts came to my mind. And I continue to walk past him. And this is what I heard from him. He said, hey, you have a nice day. And the tone wasn't... Um, passive-aggressive to say, well, you have a good... No, it was from a gentle heart. And I felt convicted the whole day because here I am diving into this book where Micah is talking about justice and judgment, what is required of us. And that's not what I did. I, I willfully chose to ignore that. And I felt convicted. I felt like God presented me with the opportunity to help an image bearer to recognize the dignity and the value and the work of this individual right in front of me. And I said, no, thank you. I'm going to keep going. I felt so convicted that I talked to the people who went to the conference with me. And I was just wrestling with my thoughts, feeling crushed. And I, I said, tomorrow, if he's there, I'm going to go buy him a pizza, a Gatorade. I'm going to sit with him and hear his story. I was convicted. Unfortunately, the opportunity went away because he wasn't there the next day. And I say this, I share this story with you because I still feel the weight of it. And I want to ask you this question. I believe that the word of God is powerful to speak. It's alive, changes hearts, and the Holy Spirit is at work in us. So my job here is not to tell you what to do or how to respond to this, but just to uphold what the Lord is saying to us. So when the opportunity comes to you, what is going to be your response like? I still, like I said, I still feel crushed and I still 
think about it. And so I thank God that he brought this conviction to my heart. And I pray that he will do the same to you in whatever ways that he wants to convict you. Now, I want to wrap it up because I know I'm taking a lot of our time and typically it goes for way longer uh, for the mind prophets than we expect. But here's the reality of things. With Micah, we get to see how the law is God's model of flourishing. But also the law is used as a mirror. And this is exactly what Micah is doing to the people of Israel, to the people of Judah. And this is exactly what the law does for us today. So let's be aware of that. But I love this. Jesus made the law clear for us. He explains, what is the greatest? What is the great commandment when they're questioning him? And he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And then he says, and likewise, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So in light of that, I just want to invite you to look into the mirror with me. Do we love the Lord, your God, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind? Or do we have other little g-gods and idols in our lives? Do we live in such a way that we are bringing glory to God every day, living for Him, treasuring Him as ultimate at all times? Or do we rather choose to follow our desires and our ways and what is convenient for us? How about relationship with one another and our neighbors? Do we love our neighbors as ourselves? What do we do when God presents us with the opportunity to help our neighbor? I just, my hope is that you feel the challenge. The Holy Spirit is the one who's going to be at work, not the words of Sebastian or whatever he experienced, forget that. But the Spirit is at work. And I want to I close with this. Not only did Jesus make the law clear for us, but he actually came to fulfill it. The one prophesied came and was revealed in Jesus, the good shepherd, the one who lays down his life for the sheep, the one who was made sin, who knew no sin, so that we, unclean, sinful people, would become the righteousness of God in him. This is the message of the gospel. So therefore, because this is true, friends, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Jesus, rest in that. Be assured in that. Find comfort in that. Now, Jesus showed us what Micah 6, 8 actually looks like. Because he's the one who did justice. He's the one who loved mercy. He's the one who walked humbly with God. And he did that for us. But the question doesn't go away. Now, to close, Micah helps us to understand how God is answering the question. Think about this through the week. Who is like Yahweh? And remember, there is no one like him. There's not another sovereign creator of the universe that can deliver his promises and be faithful the way that he is. No other God and idol compares to him. So let me remind you again of the closing words of Micah. May we too wait on the Lord, who is, like a God, who is a God like you, pardoning iniquities and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. 
He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in the steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast our sins into the depths of the sea. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are, and we thank you for the fact that you have chose to reveal yourself in the person of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you would continue to work in our hearts, that we may be people that are marked by your kingdom, that we would be faithful representatives of you. Father, we recognize that we need you and that we can do these things on our own. And so we're grateful for the assurance that we have in the finished work of Christ. I pray that you, your Holy Spirit, would continue to work in our hearts and in our lives, that we may be able to continue to be transformed into the image of Christ. And in his name we pray. Amen.